Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Good morning, church family. How y'all doing? Online. Oh, I heard some yelling over there. What's up? What's up, Daniel? Online church family, I didn't forget about y'all. I hope y'all are doing great as well. Happy New Year. It's 2022. It's kind of weird to say that it's 2022, but I hope that your New Year's resolutions that you started yesterday are going strong today. <laughs> I also hope that you're going to make it at least one week. I know my wife and I made some New Year's resolutions that we're hoping to stick with for at least one week. We'll see how week two goes, but I hope that y'all are doing that. I also know that the Lord's going to do amazing things this year in 2022 in your life as individuals and as our congregation as a whole. And so today, I'm going to be talking about your last week. But before we get into that, um, I, I want to tell you that I, I work with our youth group. I get to speak in front of them, and I'm honored to serve them. And today, I'm honored to serve y'all as well. But we're going to do a little interactive thing that I like to do with the youth as well. So I'm going to have y'all raise your hands if, you, if you've ever heard of an icebreaker question before. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of an icebreaker. Now, keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. So those of you who have ever heard of an icebreaker question, who has ever done an icebreaker question in a new small group, new youth group, work group? Okay, keep your hands up. And for those who have heard of an icebreaker and who have done an icebreaker, how many of y'all love icebreakers? Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. All right, I see y'all. Okay, you can put your hands down. For those of y'all that love icebreakers, y'all are my people. I love you. I love icebreakers. I love icebreakers because it makes you think outside of the box. But for those of y'all that put your hands down, I love you as well. You're welcome. So icebreakers can be awkward, can't they? I remember one time when I was in high school, I went to a new summer camp, and our small group leader, without any context, pulled out a roll of toilet paper from his bag. And he said, take off as many sheets as you would use. And so that's awkward. You're around a whole bunch of people that you don't really know that well, and they're like, use as many, take off as many sheets as you would use. So we did. We all went around the circle, and we took off as many sheets as we would use. When it got back to our small group leader, he then said this, count the number of sheets that you have, and that's how many fun facts you get to tell about yourself. And so those funny, yeah, so those funny guys who took off 20 got to tell 20 fun facts about themselves. And fun facts are weird, right? You're like, oh, I think this is fun, but they might not. I think this is funny, but they might not. So icebreakers can be awkward. Icebreakers can also catch you off guard, and y'all, I love these kind of icebreakers. I've used these icebreakers several times when I've led new small groups, but I always preface the icebreaker with this before I ask the question. I say, I hope this never happens to you, but if your house was to catch on fire, what's the one thing you would run in to grab? I say, you can't, you can't pick up a person, you can't pick up a pet, because we're going to assume that they got out safely. What's the one thing you would grab? And I've got answers such as, I would grab the quilt that my grandma made me when I was a child. I've had people say, I'd grab my work computer because my work is very, very important to me. I've also had examples of people saying, I would grab my gaming console because I love to game, and that's how I connect with my friends around the United States. So, the, so these icebreakers can catch you off guard, but it shows you what's really important in your life. And then there's the toughest icebreaker question I've ever been asked. It's also my favorite icebreaker question of all time. And it's, if you had one week left to live, what would you do with your time? And I remember when I was in high school and I was asked this for the very first time, I thought, 
I'm 15. I have a lot of life before me. There's no way I'm dying tomorrow. I've got too much life ahead of me. I'm not going to answer this question. My second thought was then, I don't want to hear about what my, parent, what my friends would do because I don't want to think about my friends dying. But as I've gotten older, as I've gotten wiser, as I've led small groups, I begin to think maybe they're onto something. Maybe this question is truly important. Why don't we think about what we would do if we had one week left to live? If you took some time this week, 30 seconds, and sat back and thought, if I had one week left to live, what would I do? What would you do? What would your life look like? Would your life look any differently? So this concept of if you had one week left to live, what would you do, is what we're going to be focused on today. And y'all, I almost got to answer this question the hard way. So I'm going to take y'all back to 2008 when I was a junior in high school. And I was a junior in high school. I had a lot of life before me. I was the trumpet section leader. I was active in my youth group. I had a lot of friends. I had a job. I had dreams that I was going to chase. I had a lot of life before me, or so I thought. And then something weird began to happen. I started to get these headaches. And at first, the headaches were okay. They were dull. I could take a little Tylenol, and they would subside for a little while. But as the days, the weeks, and the months passed by, the headaches started to get worse and worse and worse. They started to get so bad I couldn't stand the light. When I would hear noise, my head would throb. After school, every single day, I would have to go home, get into my room, shut my blinds, put a wet washcloth over my eyes just to dull the pain. It got so bad that I began to get scared, and I told my mom, Mom, I need to go to the doctor. So we went to the doctor, and I got a CAT scan. And I was in the waiting room of the CAT scan, and the nurse came to me, and she said, Troy, you need to go to the ER right now. So my mom and I got up, and we left. We went to the ER. And something weird happened. We're sitting in the ER, and all of a sudden, this doctor walks into my room, stares directly into my eyes, and walks out. So yeah, it's a little weird, but I've been to the ER before. I have asthma. I've hurt myself. So going to the ER and having a doctor walk into your room and then walk out, not a huge deal. Sometimes they go in the wrong patient's room. So I didn't think anything of it. Right? Yeah, y'all know. But then it happened again. This doctor walked into my room, stared directly into my eyes, and walked out. And so I don't know about y'all, but I don't believe in coincidences. And so I looked at my mom. My mom looked at me, and we thought something weird was going on. And I'll tell y'all, I'm never going to the ER in Burnett, Texas ever again. Just so y'all know, don't go. (laughs) So we waited a couple more minutes, and then the same thing happened again. The doctor walked in my room, stared directly into my eyes, and then he did something I will never forget. He laughed in my face. But it wasn't like a silly giggle, like he, he, he. He laughed so uncontrollably because he didn't know what to say to me. After about 15 or 20 seconds, after he composed himself, He looked directly into my eyes, and he said something I will never, ever forget. He said, Troy, you should be dead. As soon as he said that I couldn't even process, he said, Troy, come here, come here, come here, come here. So I get up, and I walk over to the nurse's station where my CAT scan is, and he said, Troy, I know you don't know what you're looking at, but do you know what a liter of soda looks like? I said, yes, sir. About this big? He said, yeah. He said, that's how much blood is on your brain that should not be there. He also said that your brain has swollen so much, it has nowhere else to go. He again looked directly into my eyes, and he said, Troy, you should be dead. Y'all, in that moment, time froze for me. I had thought that I had so much time before me. I should have graduated. I I thought, I'm not going to graduate high school. I'm not going to go to college. 
Y'all, now I would have never met my wife, Ashley. We would have never had our daughter, Ainsley. I should be dead. This just shows that we never know when our last day will be. And so this icebreaker question of if you have one week left to live is very, very important to me. And so I actually got to ask a group of people this question. I sent this question out to a bunch of people, and I got a bunch of responses. And those responses are going to be up behind me, and I'm going to read through them. And y'all just listen as I read. So people said, a few people said they would pray. They would go to the Lord with their last week. Some people said they would go out and they would share the gospel with their last seven days. Others said they would spend time with friends and time with family. There were a lot of people that said travel, but I was shocked. I would think if people wanted to travel, they would want to go see new destinations, new things. They would want to go see the wonders of the world. But every single person that responded said they would go and travel to see their friends and their family that they hadn't seen in a while. People said they would eat their favorite foods. They would reminisce about the past. A few people said they would mail letters on their last day. That way their family members would get those letters after they passed so they could have those words forever. Other people said they would thank God for life. Others said they would prepare for death. They'd get their finances in order. They'd get their will up to date. They'd get a plot to be buried in. They would make sure all of that stuff was set up and ready to go. That way their family members didn't have to worry about that. Others said they would pray for their kids. Some said they would serve others, and I love this one. One person said they'd freak out, right? I'd freak out, too, if I was told I had one week left to live. I love this one as well. Somebody said, I would forgive people that had hurt me, and I would ask for forgiveness of people that I've hurt. One person said, I'd throw a celebration of life party because the person's life they were celebrating would actually make it. And finally, others would tell people in their lives how they've impacted their life. So I want to say thank you for you that are here and those online that responded to my question. I appreciate you. Y'all are vulnerable with me for a little while, and I'm, I'm honored that you sent the, these answers in and uh, let me know what you would do. And so out there, out, y'all out here are probably thinking, yeah, those will resonate with me. Of course, I would eat my favorite food. I would pray. I would go and share the gospel. I'd visit my friends and family. And some of you might be thinking, yeah, I'd freak out too. And these are all okay and really good things to do, actually. But there's only one perfect example of somebody who lived the perfect last week on earth. And that was Jesus Christ. So what did Jesus do in his last week? How did Jesus live? Well, he didn't panic. He didn't force anything that he wasn't supposed to do. And he didn't ignore God's will for his life. Now, Jesus had lived how he'd always been living. He loved. He prayed. He taught and he listened. So Jesus' last week was filled with many, many things, but I'm going to focus on four today. Those four things are compassion, thankfulness, service, and prayer. So first we're going to look at how Jesus showed compassion. And I know some of y'all out there are like, ugh, Troy, compassion? Really? Do you know the world that we live in today? It's a dog-eat-dog world. No one shows compassion. Why would I show compassion to other people? And for those of y'all thinking it, don't think you're alone, because I am that exact same way. I think you got yourself into this mess. Get yourself out. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and keep on moving on, because you did it. You can get out of it. If you ask my wife, Ashley, she will actually tell you that my empathy and sympathy meter is broken. You can ask her. Yeah, but we have the perfect example of Jesus and how he showed compassion. So Jesus showed compassion to the lepers. And I'm going to group all these people together, and I'm going to call them the dirty. The people that no one want to be around, maybe the smelly, maybe the people that are just making wrong decisions. Jesus showed compassion to the prostitutes. 
And I'm going to lump these people together and say, these are the people making bad decisions. Maybe they're going down the wrong road in life. Jesus showed compassion to the tax collectors. I'm going to, I'm going to lump these people together. I'm going to say the unlovable, people that society doesn't love and doesn't want to be around. We're going to lump all of us together now. He was around us, the sinners. He showed compassion to us. So whether you're compassionate or not, whether you believe in compassion or not, every single person in this room needs compassion from Jesus. So let's see how Jesus showed compassion. In Matthew 20, 29 through 34, it says this. As they went away from the city of Jericho, many people followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the side of the road. They called out when they heard that Jesus was going by. They said, Lord, take pity on us, son of David. Many people spoke sharp words to them. They told the blind men not to call out. Y'all, I love this next part. But they called out all the more, Lord, take pity on us, son of David. And then Jesus does something unexpected. Jesus stopped and called them. He asked, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to Jesus, Lord, we want our eyes opened. Jesus had loving pity on them and put his hands on their eyes, and at once they could see, and they followed Jesus. So why would Jesus do that? Here's Jesus, the Son of God. He knows he's got about a week left to live, and he's walking down the street. I'm sure he's got people yelling his praises and telling them how much he loves him. I'm sure there's also people out there cursing him and screaming at him. And then there's these two blind men yelling, Lord, have pity, please, Lord. And what do the people around him do? They say, stop. Shut your mouth. Your problems aren't big enough for him. He can't hear you. But Jesus does the unexpected. He stops and he turns. He says, what do you want me to do for you? Now, Jesus stopped and showed compassion to those blind men because he loves people. If Jesus wasn't compassionate, not a single person in this room would be going to heaven. So how can you show more compassion in your life? Maybe it's with a spouse that you've been arguing with for weeks or months. Maybe you've got children that you're just like, oh, I don't see eye to eye with them. Students, maybe it's your parents that you butt heads with. Some of us have siblings in here. Maybe you argue with them all the time. Can you show compassion to your siblings? What about your coworkers that you're competing for the next promotion? Can you show compassion to them? What about your neighbors who shoot fireworks off at 2 a.m.? Yeah, we had that. What about the person who cut you off in the church parking lot after service to get to lunch before you? Yeah, uh-huh, yep, yep. Maybe even some of you can show compassion to yourselves. We can all show a little bit more compassion in our lives. Next, Jesus was thankful. So we're going to turn to Mark 14, 3 through 9. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So let me paint this picture for you. Jesus has got a couple of days left to live. 
He's reclining at a table with people that he loves. He's telling them how much he loves them, how he's thankful for them. He's telling them about his grace, his love, his mercy, his kindness, how he is the, the one way to heaven. And then this woman comes in. She's got this jar of perfume, and it said it was worth a year's wages. And so I looked up for context for this, and the average U.S. salary in, in, the, uh, in 2021 was $53,490. So let's say for this story that this jar of perfume was worth $54,000. That's a lot of money. And she came, and she broke open the jar, and she anointed Jesus' body. And for a side note, I think it's hilarious that these people were, were condemning her and telling her what she should do with her jar of perfume. That's a side note. I think that's hilarious. But y'all, she did that because she loved Jesus. And again, the people are rebuking her and calling her out. And Jesus says, stop, leave her alone. She did a beautiful thing for me. And in fact, wherever the gospel is preached, she, her memory will be known. So even in the moment, even though he knew he had a few days left, he knew he was about to die, he still find, found time to give thanks to the people around him. So how can you show thankfulness in your life? So we've been dealing with COVID for about two years now. And for those of y'all that have a job or lost your job and got another job, can you show thankfulness for the job that you have right now? What about your health? Maybe you had COVID and you got over it. Maybe you never got COVID. Can you show thankfulness for your health? What about your friends and family that you have around you? Even though you may butt heads, can you show thankfulness for them? What about your life in general that you just get to live in the United States of America? What about your finances that the Lord's provided for you every single week or month or year? And can you show thankfulness to Jesus for your salvation? We all have a lot to be thankful for. Next, Jesus served. So here's another interactive. Who in here has ever thought or thinks right now that serving people is hard? Am I the only one? I see a couple hands. I see a couple hands. Okay, okay. Y'all put your hands down. Thank you so much. So when I was a kid, volunteering was not something that happened in my household. I was voluntold what to do. Yeah, my mom's in the back. She heard me. <laughs> I remember there were days and weeks where I would have to go to the church early to set up for different events. I would set up tables. I would set up chairs. I would set up the kids' wing. I would set up all kinds of things. And then I would get to go to the event. And I got to have fun. I got to sing, sing songs, hang out with my friends, play games, all of that. And then I would stand at the door, and I would wave at my friends as they left, and I got to tear down the event. There were times when I helped out in the kids' ministry. Every single Sunday for about a year, I dressed up as this nerd named Dexter. I would go to the kids' wing. I would hang out with the students. I would sing songs. I would play games. I would tell them about Jesus. There were other times when I helped out, when I was a junior and senior with our 6th, 7th, and 8th graders. I would sing with them. I would play with them. I would tell them about Jesus. And during those times when I was voluntold to do those things, I had fun. Right? It's fun to hang out, sing songs, play games, set up, tear down. That's all fun. But there are also moments when I was serving where I thought, man, I'm overqualified for this. Why should I pick up this trash that somebody else left? Why should I put up this table that somebody sat at that I didn't? Why should I throw away all this food that nobody ate? Why do I have to do that? Boy, was I wrong about being overqualified. There's only one person that walked on, on this earth that was overqualified to serve, and that was Jesus Christ. But he served, and Jesus served because he loved others. So let's check out John 13, 3 through 9. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands and that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, 
took a towel and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with a towel tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, what I'm doing you don't realize now, but afterward you will understand. You will never wash my feet, Peter said. Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus replied, your feet will do. (laughs) So in all seriousness, though, why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus serve? Here's the son of God coming down to earth, serving others. Back in that day, y'all, they walked everywhere. They walked in mud. They walked in dirt. They walked in sand. Their feet were stinky and smelly. But here's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who took off his outer garments. He tied a towel around his waist. Then he got down on his knees and he washed his disciples' feet. Why would he do that? I think Mark 10, 45 says it perfectly. For even the, man, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, Jesus came to be here with us, the sinners. He came to tell people about his saving grace. He came so that everybody would know who he was. Jesus came to serve So who can you serve in your life? Maybe it's the homeless. You go down 35, 45 minutes from here, you go to Austin, there's a whole bunch of homeless that we could be serving. Maybe it's a widow or a widower that you live next door to or down the road from. Could you be serving them? About to hurt some people. Maybe you could serve somebody with a different religious view than you. Dare I say, maybe you can serve somebody with a different political view than you. You know that person that cut you off in the the parking lot last week? Could you be serving them? Hebrews 13.2 is amazing. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Every single person in this room should be looking for opportunities to serve because none of us are overqualified. You never know when you could be showing hospitality to an angel. And lastly, Jesus prayed in his last week. Let's take a look at Matthew 26, 36 through 46. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he told the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little further, he fell, down, face down, he fell face down and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He asked Peter, So couldn't you stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came again and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. After leaving them, he went away again and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? See, the time is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let's go. See, my betrayer is near. So I think when we read stories of Jesus, about how he did miracles, how he created you know, all of this food from a couple loaves of bread and some fish, how he healed, how he is the way, the truth, and the life, I think we often forget that Jesus was also a human. 
And I think in these 11 verses, it shows just how human Jesus was. He said he was grieved so badly that he was almost grieved to death. And when he went to pray, he knew what was about to happen to him. He knew that he was going to be arrested in the dead of night, so nobody knew what was going on. He knew he was going to be put on trial and that people were going to speak falsely against him. They knew they were going to be screaming him, screaming at him. They knew they were going to be, they're wanting to put him to death. He then knew he was going to be tortured and beaten. He knew he was going to have to, he was going to be, he was going to be, um, he was going to be um, mocked and the soldiers were going to bow down to him and they were going to spit at him. They knew that they were going to give him the cross that he had to carry that he was going to be nailed on. He was a nail to that cross and he would die. So why would Jesus pray? Why would he pray? He knew what was going to happen to him. He knew that that was the will of his life. That's what he knew God knew or what God wanted for his life. Why would he do that? Y'all, he did that so he could connect with the Lord. He did that so he would be in the will with the Lord constantly and he would not break that connection. So how does your prayer life look? Can some of you out there kind of look at your prayer life and say, man, I'm kind of selfish when it comes to my prayer life. I know I can sometimes. Can you pray for your children that you butt heads with sometimes? What about your family members that you haven't seen in years and you, you disagree with politically or religiously? What about your boss that you have that you are not a fan of? Could you be praying for him or her? What about the people that are lost in this world and have no direction? What about your spouse? What about our country and its leadership? God knew those people were going to be put in leadership positions. Could we, pray, could we be, be praying for them? What about just our world in general? Could we, could we be praying for our world? Now, I often think and I wonder what it would look like if we prayed as if it was our last week. So Jesus' last week should be magnified in all of our weeks. Matthew 24, 36 through 37 says this, But no one knows the day or the hour. No, not even the angels in heaven know. The Son does not know, only the Father knows. When the, son, when the Son of Man comes, it will be the same as when Noah lived. You know, we don't know when Jesus is coming back, but he's coming back. I get an amen. He's coming back. Amen. And we need to be ready for Jesus' return. So in the end, y'all, we have a choice on how we live. We can live for Christ or we can live against Christ. But the awesome thing is that he's given us the total freedom to choose how we live. Jesus chose to glorify God in all of his weeks, but especially in his last week. And I hope and I pray that if somebody asked you the question, if you had one week left to live, what would you do? I hope that you would answer, to, that I would live like Jesus, a life full of compassion, thankfulness, service, and prayer. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, just uh, thank you for today, Lord, and thank you for 2022. I know that you're going to do amazing things, um, and I'm just so excited to see what you're going to do, Lord. But thank you for the perfect example that Jesus is for us. Thank you that you sent him down here to die for us. Thank you for his compassion, Lord, because we all need his compassion. Lord, thank you for, sh for showing us how to be thankful to people around us. We have so much to be thankful for, and I hope that we don't lose sight of those things. Lord, I pray that we have service opportunities and presented in front of us that we can, we can go and we can help, and we can tell people about your son and his saving grace. Lord, I'm thankful for prayer. Help us to pray boldly for 2022 and that you would work boldly in our lives. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you so much for your son. It's your name I pray. Amen. All right, so I have a challenge for you. This week and all of 2022, I hope you live like it was your last week and you glorify God in everything.
that you do. Have a good week.